Happy Sabbath, Elevate family. Oh, my, let's try that one more time. Happy Sabbath, Elevate family. And God is good. And all the time, well, welcome home. There's always room for one more. And some of you this morning, we well, have walked in and said, hey, we're at the sermon already. Just want to uh, remind you that uh, we have moved all our services up. Half an hour, so Elevate now begins at 10 a.m. But this Sabbath, I am blessed and honored and privileged to uh, share the pulpit with Pastor Michael. And thank you uh, to, also to the Elevate uh, lead team for the opportunity just to share a few words from the word this morning for, for us all. And this morning, I've entitled uh, today's sermon, uh, Make Room. And it's maybe coming from a different perspective of what we actually think of what making room uh, means for Jesus in our lives. And, but before we get there, I just want to uh, just do a little exercise. And I know Pastor Michael has done this before, uh, where I ask, for a, uh, I ask you questions, and you answer back with a firm yes, with an open palm, or a firm no, uh, closing it and showing me a fist. All right? Is that uh, simple? Is that pretty easy? So when I ask the questions, if it's a firm yes for you, uh, show me that open palm. If it's a firm no, uh, show me the closed fist this morning, all right? First question. I don't mind sitting in the middle seat on an airplane. I don't mind sitting in the middle seat on an airplane. Some yeses, a lot of noes. All the ones with the noes, uh, I'm with you. I remember uh, it wasn't long ago when I uh, caught a flight on Southwest, and as you all know, Southwest is open seating. And um, I didn't check in 24 hours before then, and guess what? I was in Zone 7, and you know <laughs> what happens, right? In Zone 7, you get on the plane, and only seats that are open are the middle seats. So I can see everybody's eyes as they see this big guy walking down the aisle. Please do not sit next to me. Please do not sit next to me. Please do not. <laughs> but I, too, do not like sitting in the middle seats. Second question. I always leave room for dessert when I eat dinner. I always leave room for dessert when I eat dinner. Some mixes, yes, no's. So yes, okay, a lot of yeses on this side for some reason. All right, that's what's up. Next, I make room in my closet, ladies. I make room in my closet before buying new clothes. A lot of no's, some yeses, all right. Honestly, I haven't bought any new clothes recently, so I have a lot of room in my closet, all right? Last question, and it's more of a thought question as we go through God's word this morning. Making room for Jesus in my life is not a requirement, but a response. Making room for Jesus in my life is not a requirement, but a response. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I need you now. They need you. Be with us as we go through your word this morning. Help us, Father God, to grasp this concept, make room. In your name I pray and ask. Amen. This morning I just want to take a word from uh, surrounding Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, the story of Zacchaeus. But I want to build upon the story of Zacchaeus first, uh, going over a couple stories from Luke chapter 18 the chapter previous to the story of Zacchaeus. So if you have your word, if you have your uh, 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 device, or you can simply look on the screen 
And uh, shout out to Liz for the beautiful slides this morning. You can follow along as we go to his word. We'll start with Luke chapter 18, verse 9. And here it gives us a foundation exactly who Jesus is talking to. Luke is so descriptive in verse 9. And it says, also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. I pray that God is not talking to anybody in this description here in verse 9. But Jesus there is talking to a bunch of people at the hearing of his voice who seem to trust in themselves, thinking that they are righteous and they despise others. Make room. Verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes and all that I possess, of all that I possess. And a tax collector standing afar off would not as so much raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. First thing I want to point out here is Jesus in this story puts the Pharisee and the tax collector in the church. <laughs> Did you get that? Jesus begins the story with the tax collector and the Pharisee both in the church. Now, you understand who the task collector is in society's eyes. Somebody who's unworthy. Somebody who's a thief. Somebody who's beyond salvation. But Jesus begins the story speaking to those who are full of themselves, putting both the Pharisee and the task collector in the church. You see, the church, I believe, should be a comfort zone for the broken. What do you think? The church should be a place of refuge where anyone from any walk of life can come and find safety. Instead, like the Pharisees, sometimes there's much posturing and pretense that happens. In some way, somehow, we have twisted this gift of truth and faith into some way making it a measuring stick of one another. And we have formed these cookie-cutter outlooks on how a Christian should be, how a Christian should look. So thus, what, what happens is, a lot of, is, there, is that there is a lot of pretense. We pretend that we are happy when we are actually sad. We are okay when we're not. We're righteous when really we are unrighteous. Has it ever occurred to you that the last place that pretending should take place is in God's house? But unfortunately, I believe that it's the place where most pretense happens. Sometimes we have fixed up these straitjackets 
in which everyone must look the same, wear the same thing. And what happens is that uh, if, if you're not along, if you don't look a certain way or don't speak a certain way, you're labeled. So what happens is the, the divorced person is less. The person who still battles with those habits is less. And oh my, the person who has had children out of wedlock is less. But oh, beloved, where do we get the right to do this? Because the one who actually has the right to condemn, according to John chapter 3, verse 17, says that he came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So if he doesn't condemn us, why should we? The Pharisee's prayer is interesting compared to the tax collector's prayer. The first he said uh, in his prayer stood and prayed to be seen. It says that the tax collector stood afar off. The Pharisee prayed with self-pride. The tax collector would not as so much raise his eyes to heaven. The Pharisee was thankful that he was not like other men or even the tax collector standing next to him. And the tax collector, when you read his statement in the Greek, as a sinner, the A is actually, uh, the A is actually supposed to be the sinner, which implies that in his prayer, he's speaking to God as if he's the only sinner standing before him. You see, they both went up to the temple, but according to the word, only one came down justified. The Pharisee had no real encounter with God. He thought that he had met all the requirements possible. The tax collector, on the other hand, had a real encounter with God. He goes up with all his baggage. He goes up with probably no room in his life for God at the moment. But in his earnest prayer, came back down, justified. Beloved, may I suggest to us today that to make room for God is not to meet certain requirements, but rather is, it is a response to God's love and mercy. What do you think? To bring that point home furthermore, let's read the story of the rich young ruler. In Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 23. If you follow along in your word, I'll read it for us. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but the one that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I have kept since I was young from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very 
are rich. It's interesting that the conversation that the rich young ruler has here with Christ, we find that Jesus answers him first in the beginning that why do you call me good? Nobody is good but God. Now there's no verse in the Bible calling any uh, man good, but there's many verses in here that says God is good. Now, I don't know about you, but my, in, in my personal experience, looking back now in the journey that he has brought us along or brought me along here in ministry, I can truly say and profess before everybody here today that God is good. But the rich young ruler has a problem trying to grasp exactly where Christ or Jesus is getting to in his conversation with the man. So he brings up and he starts spitting out the law, the Ten Commandments. As, and it's interesting, it's not the first four that he's spitting out. It's from the second tablet, part of the, part of the six, right? And we know that the law of the first four represent our relationship with God, and then the next six represents our relationship with man. And so God's, uh, Jesus is spitting out all, how, how about these commandments? And the young fellow says, I, I have learned and followed all that since I was young. In spite of the fact that he came to the right person, asked the right question, and received the right answer, he made the wrong decision. You see, in his response to Jesus, when Jesus is responding to him with the commandments, it's a response as if he's using his law as a checklist. Says, yes, Lord, I have checked all the boxes. I have met all those requirements. I'm good. And then Jesus in his response saying, are you really good? It's a misuse of God's law. You see, he's using God's law as a mirror to see all the good that he has done. Instead of using it as a mirror... To see all the blemishes that he has. Now, there are many women here in the house, and I believe that women know how to use mirrors the right way. You ask my wife. You see, when she uses the mirrors, I believe that she looks at all the things that are wrong and need fixing. But a man, if you're like me, I look in the mirror and just make sure that I look okay, and then I'm out. And then I'm out. But as we're going along in the day, my wife continues to point out you didn't see this? You didn't see this stain? You didn't see that your tie is crooked? You didn't see that your belt is crooked? I was misusing the mirror. I was looking at how good I look instead of looking at all the blemishes that I have. Could it be that the rich young ruler, as Jesus is spitting out the commandments, Jesus is telling him straight up, like, hey, you're misusing my law. You're using it as a mirror, as a checklist to check off all the good things that you have done. When in, re in reality, my law is to check you so you can see where you still need growing. Make room. The rich young ruler thought that he had all the room in the world for Jesus because he had checked all the boxes, because he had checked all the requirements he thought. But still, he had no real encounter 
of God's love and God's mercy. So in his thinking of making room for Jesus, it was trying to meet a requirement and not so much a response. What is our response to God's goodness this morning? We have the rich young ruler, which gives us an example in making the wrong decision in our response. And in a moment, we'll go over the story of Zacchaeus and see exactly this concept of making room is not so much us making room in our lives, but more so God has already made room for you in his kingdom. In verse 24 and 25, sorry, it's not on the screen. I forgot to give these verses to Liz. But if you just follow along real quick, as Jesus continues the story in his interaction with the rich young ruler, it says that when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I just want to say that there's nothing wrong with having possessions. Matter of fact, if you have possessions, God bless you. Can I have some? But when the possessions possess us, then there's an issue, there's a problem. But Jesus uses the interesting words here, for it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And I was looking up that phrase, eye of the needle, and commentaries have so many explanations. And, but one of the explanations that I want to point out to us is that really brought home today's message for me is the eye of the needle. There in Jerusalem, there was two gates as is, there was a wall that was surrounding the great city. And after hours, the big gate or the main gate were closed and people would need to enter to the side gate, which is called the eye of the needle. And what's interesting here is that uh, this gate was a little narrow, wasn't as big as the main gate. For, so for the camel, or so for a, for a camel to enter through the side gates, it would need to rid itself of its baggage. For the camel to fit through this gate, it would need to rid itself of its baggage. But the camel could not do that himself. It leaned on its handler or its rider to take off the baggage off of its hump so that it can make its way to the gate into Jerusalem. He needed to make room, the camel, but he couldn't do it himself. So the one who's his master had to help him with the process so that he could fit through the gates into Jerusalem. Beloved, you and I are not trying to enter literal Jerusalem. But God has already made room for you and I in new Jerusalem. And maybe some of us have come with baggage that is 
bringing us down. And we can't quite fit through the narrow gates. But I have good news for you, that we have a master, that we have a great commander who can do that for you, who can take your baggage, who can set you free today so that you and I can make our way into the gates. Let's finish off with the story of Zacchaeus. See, chapter 18 in all its stories, it's building up to this great story that we find in chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. And by the way, I believe that the whole gospel of Luke, verse 10, is a thesis statement. If the gospel of Luke was a paper, the thesis thesis statement is found in the middle here in verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. But let's go to, to the story of Zacchaeus real quick. Verse, chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Follow along with me as I read. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed into the sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place and he looked up and saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We've got to understand that Zacchaeus, translated into English, is the righteous one. And he's not living up to his name much. He's a tax collector, but not just a tax collector. He's a supervisor of the tax collectors. And he's a Jew. So he's collecting money from the Roman government who are ruling over his people. And he's collecting money from them so that they, so that they, can, so that they can continue their rule. He doesn't have much friends. Matter of fact, society has deemed him a thief, the worst of thieves, the worst of sinners. And says that he hears about this man, Jesus, but because of his short stature, he can't quite see Jesus. And the word of Luke records, he can't see Jesus. Why? Because the people are in the way. Sometimes the biggest stumbling block to the gospel is not the gospel itself. Sometimes it's people. You see, sometimes instead of being a bridge to the gospel, 
some become stumbling blocks. And so because of his short stature, and by the way, spiritually, we're all short, according to God's word, for all that fallen shorts of the glory of God. He climbs upon a tree and he runs, which goes against tradition in those days. A man doesn't run in public. And a man certainly in his position does not act like a kid and climb, climbs a tree. But Zacchaeus did so because he wanted to see the Savior. And what's so amazing about this story is that Zacchaeus being who he was, having all these things that society deemed him and labeled him, Jesus, as he walked by, looked up and says that he called Zacchaeus by name. He knew Zacchaeus by name. Now, beloved, the president may not know our name, or he doesn't know my name. The governor of Texas probably does not know anyone's name here. I praise the Lord that the mayor of Key knows my name, right, right, Gary? But even more so, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, knows your name. He knows your situation. And like Zacchaeus, some of us that come this morning, sitting on a tree, hoping that nobody will see us because we just want to have an encounter with Christ. And so Jesus this morning said, hey, and he's calling you by name. Come down from going to your house today. According to Luke, he says that all people complained when they saw this, when they heard this. I think Christ did it on purpose. He does it in public and he shouts Zacchaeus' name, come down for I'm going to your house today. You see, back then, whoever you brought over to the house, whoever you ate with, was a company that you kept. And so for Jesus to invite himself to the house of Zacchaeus was saying that he himself was a sinner. That he himself wants Zacchaeus as a friend. And so they complained and murmured and said, Why, what does this man want to do with this great sinner? But check out Zacchaeus' response. And Jesus declaring that he wants to go to his house to eat. It says, Lord, I want to make restitution to those who are ripped off. Lord, I want to pay back those that I have stolen money from. You see, Zacchaeus, in wanting to make room for Jesus, it wasn't a requirement, but it was a response to Jesus wanting to go to his house that day. You see, the word says that Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus, but I believe it's more so Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus. This morning, we have, you may have come looking for Jesus. But I want to imply and suggest to you that more so is Jesus looking for you. Maybe in our lives, we sometimes treat making room for Christ as checking off the requirements and the boxes. Lord, I have to make room for you before I can have an encounter with you. But this morning, I think we got to flip that. Jesus at the cross has already made room for you. You just have to accept the invitation because he wants to come to your house 
today. No matter what society has labeled you, no matter your preference or background, whatever it may be, sometimes we, sometimes we feel as if there's no room in us. Like possibly Christ wants nothing to do with me. But beloved, according to Luke 19 verse 10 in the story of Zacchaeus, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save not the found, not the one who checks all the requirements, but rather the lost. And so today, I leave you with this appeal. What is your response? We can respond to his goodness and his mercy and his invitation to come to your house to sup today like the rich young ruler in disappointment and in rejection. Or like Zacchaeus, we can respond saying, Lord, I recognize now that it's not so much me making room for you, but it's me responding to you already making room for me in your kingdom. So if you want to respond like Zacchaeus this morning, I want to encourage you, I want to invite you to stand and sing with us this song, The Goodness of God. If you want to make a proclamation today that yes, Lord, I accept your invitation. I want you to come and sup with me in my house, in my situations, in my problems. I need you now more than ever. I recognize that there was always room for one more. That there was always room for me. Not so much because I have made room for myself, but because you have already made room for me. So in response to today's message, in response today, to today's God's uh, invitation to follow him, I ask you to stand and sing together with the praising this morning, the goodness of God.